Philippians 1, Philippians 1 verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. To all, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we, we start right into this, uh, we see, first of all, this morning, a pastor's thanks for a church on the right track. A number of years ago, I met with two members of, of the Faith Church Pastoral Search Committee at Calvin Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And at that time, I was working part-time in a local, in a church. I was completing my doctorate. But I was also going through the candidacy process of the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, and that, the candidacy process, that basically means I was getting ready to become a pastor and uh, able to receive a call then from a church. And personality tests, internships, preaching in various churches, it's a pretty big and thorough process. And it's actually one that uh, Nathan Boss, as well as William Roloffs from our church, very likely next school year will be starting as they seek to be ordained pastors in the CRC. The members of the search committee uh, were Henry Treisenberg and Jack Voss. Henry Treisenberg passed away uh, within the first year of me being here and pastoring. And, and Jack Voss, as many of you know, uh, and his wife Marlene have been struggling uh, with their health in recent months. Well, I was asked to come out and, and preach here. Sarah and I met with the search committee, uh, and I'm guessing a number of you out there, I know a number of you out there were on that search committee. Um, and then uh, I was interviewed by the search committee. Later, uh, the church sent me a letter of call, and after thinking about that and discussing and, and praying um, and, and considering other calls that I'd received, Sarah and I really felt very strongly that God was leading us to come here. And, and the sense we got was that God was doing good things at faith, that it was a healthy church uh, on a good track, and, and that we could come here, and that's what the church wanted that we could come here and we felt that we could be a help. We could build on this good foundation. 
Faith CRC uh, continues to be a church on the right track. We're not perfect. We need to grow in any number of ways, and we've got to keep striving to improve. Because if a church or an individual believer is not striving forward, like, oh, I'm just going to hang out, I'm just going to stand still, that's going to result in not standing still, but taking steps backward in our spiritual life or as a church. And and so always, in our own lives as a church, we want to be pressing forward. And Paul talks about that in chapter 3. Pressing forward, always in an attitude of humility, confessing that we have not arrived and we've got a long ways to go to reach God's ideal and that we desperately need his help. Whether it's us together as a church, our own spiritual life, uh, we never ever want to be complacent, apathetic, lukewarm, But I continue to think today, and I have over the years thought, that Faith Church is a church on the right track. And when you read the book of Philippians, you get the impression that Paul felt that that church uh, in the city of Philippi, we read, was on the right track as well. And and as he he wrote this letter, or I, I didn't I don't know if he wrote it or if he spoke it and someone else transcribed it. As that process happened and as he thought about this church, I'm sure a smile came to his face because he was so filled in his heart with joy and thanksgiving for what the Lord had done and was continuing to do. In verses we read, 3 and 4, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. In verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, it sounds like a love letter. I don't think... um, Hoping they're not. I don't think Brandon Van Dyke and Meg Walker are, are here this morning. Uh, they live in the city, but they're going to be uh, the next couple married at faith, like in a month. And uh, you can just imagine Brandon totally and deeply in love writing, My dearest Megan, I'm thinking about you all the time. You're always on my mind. How I long to be with you. I could never live without you. And if you know Brandon, he's not mushy or touchy-feely, which makes it funnier to think about that. However, love love can can change that, right? And make you have those feelings, even if your personality is not automatically sort of mushy. Well, those are the type of strong feelings that Paul had for the people of this church. He had this special joy and affection because the church was on the right track. Paul planted 
the Philippian church on his second missionary journey. Uh, We read in Acts 16 about that. Paul, first of all, had a vision from the Holy Spirit where a man from Macedonia was begging him to come help. And Paul responded and recognized that as a vision from the Lord, the Spirit. And so he went to Philippi, which was a major city there in Macedonia, which is uh, in northern Greece today. Couple, uh, several key converts in that church. Um, the first convert was Lydia, a businesswoman who dealt in purple cloth which in those days, that would have been a very lucrative business. In the same city, Paul freed a slave girl from demon possession, and for doing that, he and his partner Silas were thrown in prison by this girl's owners because they were making money off the fact that she was nutso with this demon in her. So because they took away, they saved her, they took the demon out of her, but they couldn't make money anymore and had him thrown into prison on that basis. And then the jailer of the prison came to believe and was saved. And his whole household was baptized. That's a bit of what we know about the start of the church. And now Paul is writing this letter from prison. Verse 13 of the first chapter tells us that. So what made Paul write to this church so affectionately, so joyfully? It couldn't be just that he had this special connection because he planted it himself. He planted a lot of other churches like uh, the Thessalonian, Corinthian, Ephesian churches. But Paul's letters to them are not nearly as joyful. They're not nearly as complimentary as this one. And so why, why is he so joyful here? We find the answer in verse 5. Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so second today, a church on the right track is all about partnership in the gospel. Paul is so happy because from the very beginnings of the church, the people rolled up their sleeves, got their hands dirty, and got intensely involved in advancing the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 7 that whether he was in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, they shared in God's grace with him. Chapters 2 and 4, we read that the Philippians were involved in prayer ministry, in witnessing, in financial support of Paul's missionary ministry. So this church had a vision for advancing the gospel. That's what they were about. That's the partnership Paul thanks them for. And we've got a long history of that too. We've got partnerships that go way back, like with missionaries. Um, I think of of, uh, the divorced who are just on the screen. I think of partnerships with Uh, Timothy Christian and other local Christian schools. Partnerships with Tapestries of Life in Mexico and All God's Children in Honduras and and, and many, many others. I mean, I'd be up here all day if I listed all of our ministry partnerships, right? Um, and, and, And we keep pushing forward in that. 
partners, gospel partnerships, new renewed partnerships with Ebenezer CRC, with Roseland CRC. I think of Tim and Nan Lurup's uh, new ministry on, in Honduras that we're learning more about and we're connecting with. And, and going forward, I think we want to especially find new opportunities, right, to reach our more immediate community and neighbors and connect them with the church so that they meet Jesus, like we've met Jesus. In this grand venture, we are partners with Paul, who wrote this, and all the apostles long ago, as we stand faithfully in their line. Partners with all kinds of churches who are doing this around the world, as we follow Jesus' great commission to make disciples. And as we put it in our mission statement, especially here, feeling led to prioritize God's word, God's love, and kingdom service. And all the while, as we do that, we're supported by Jesus' promise at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He'll be with us always in this work. Notice there's some things that Paul could have said that he didn't. He didn't say, wow, you've got the most impressive church building of all the churches in Asia Minor. Or, I'm so thankful that your bank account is comfortably full. And your use of social media, I mean, wow, incredible. But rather, Paul says, I thank the Lord that you are such dedicated partners in the gospel. And as we think about that, we think about all the different aspects of church life, we have to be sure that we distinguish between the core of who we are and what we're called to do and the tools that serve the work so that we don't major in the minors. The mission is first. Money, building, online presence serve the mission. A church like that prays for, that means we're involved in praying for the advancement of the gospel. Starting right here, we pray that the gospel this word, this good news, would reach people right here. That when people hear the truth of God's word, they'd accept it. That's not a given, even in the church. And the Bible tells us that. The truth, God's word, cuts both ways. To those who believe and accept it, it's a tremendous blessing. Others can't handle the truth of God's word, the truth about who they are and how much we all need Jesus, and will walk away from the proclaimed truth. And, and so we pray that the gospel of Jesus would reach those God has called here, especially and first, and then we pray for its advancement beyond and far beyond. A church on the right track, it seems to me, would also 
financially support ministries, right, that are doing God's work. A church on the right track encourages its members uh, to hear God's word and obey it and to be maturing Christians, not remain infants in the faith. A church on the right track bears one another's burdens, and I'm so thankful for how we support one another in our needs, especially as I think about all the suffering that so many households and individuals have gone through, especially just these past few years. Those were all the sorts of things the Philippian church was about, and that's why Paul was so joyful and thankful. The Philippian church knew what being the church was all about. Paul is thankful because of what the church is doing, this gospel partnership, but on a deeper level, he's thankful in verse 6 for what God is doing. The church is God's work, right? And he will carry it on to completion until the coming of Christ, we read. Even a church on the right track can get off track and can get sidetracked. Uh, the church doesn't always look like it ought to look. And in those times, uh, we need to know that the church, in the end, it is in God's hands, always. And, and he's going to carry it on to completion. He's going to carry us on all the way uh, to victory and eternity. In our personal walk with the Lord, we need to know, too, that as we struggle with sin, in our heartaches, in our doubts, in our fears, the one who began a good work in us will complete it. This is a promise that God, who has begun this good work in Ben and Lauren's heart and life, he's going to see it through. We can all be sure that he will grow the seed of his word in our hearts. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter sometimes what's going on in our minds, that he's going to see it through until we see him face to face. Our passage uh, concludes in 9, 10, and 11. That's a prayer that Paul has for the church. I'm going to read it, but I'm just going to focus on one thing in particular. Paul prays that the love of the Philippians might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they would be able to discern what is best and they might be pure and blameless until the coming of Christ. Paul's talking about holy living there and so we find finally today that people's purity is essential for a church to be on the right track. Just like the Philippians are called saints in verse 1, we're saints here at faith. And saints means those set apart to be holy. In the midst of this really messed up culture, as we deal with the old nature still alive and sometimes quite well in our hearts as Satan tries to tempt us, we're called to be set apart. We're called to holiness. The summer uh, before, first, my, before first grade, I would have been five that summer, uh, my family lived for uh, ten, 10 weeks in Minnesota in a farming community. 
and country. My dad, who at that time was on, in the process of candidating to be a pastor in the CRC, had an internship at this particular church. Um, they call them, they're called summer assignments. I know Nathan Voss has done a couple of those already in the last uh, couple summers. So we learned a little bit about farming, and, and part of, of, of the pre preparation of the fields that they still um, had to do when we arrived, like in early June, uh, was picking rock. Picking rock, and I got a couple photos of this, not, not from back then, but I, I looked them up online. Picking rock was going through the fields with a tractor and a wagon, and a bunch, bunch of, of kids. Uh, child labor laws don't really impact the agricultural community. So I was five, year old, five years old. I went around. You can even see that in the picture of the tractor with the wagon behind it. There's a, a whole variety of ages. So I did this, and, and, and then you pull up, pull out a lot of, as many rocks as possible. Um, and then... In that, see that pile of rocks? If you, if you drive in, in certain parts of the country um, through farm country, you notice the piles of rocks like that at the end of the fields. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that or known what that's about, but that's, and they just put them there instead of dragging them to the farm. Um, so I think in, my, in certain places, these rocks just, even though you pick them out every season, they... they um, they, they rise to the surface annually. And I don't know why. I don't know how. Um, there's someone here who I know who might know why and how. I didn't talk to him before the service. But uh, Pete Bohr knows quite a bit about farming. And it's for two reasons. One, Bohr means farmer. Did you know that? So I think that's why he, no. But it does. But he grew, Pete grew up in Iowa. And I bet he has, is obviously familiar with this, and I'd be curious to learn and, uh, why this happens annually. But, um, so, to be holy, as Paul prays, is to be like, our life to be like a field that's been cleared of the rocks so that the crops can grow freely, so that at the end of the season, the combines can get through the fields without any problems. I think of every rock of sin and temptation and envy and worry and, and bitterness and, and pride. It's got to be cleared from the soil of our hearts. And then a healthy crop can grow. The fruit and harvest of the Spirit in our lives. That's what Paul's prayer is, because he knows that a church on the right track is built on people whose hearts are on the right track, being cleared of sin instead of indulging in sin or letting sin remain, and our sharp edges, those sharp edges of our personality remain and fester and cause issues with those around us. Your holiness, purity, as Paul says here, or lack thereof, impacts the mission of the church. It impacts all of us here in the church family. It really and truly does. 
Like in verse 6, we're reminded again in verse 11 that this work is not something that comes from our own strength, this, this pick and rock in our own lives. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's of the Lord. And it comes because of the righteousness of Jesus and his death and resurrection for sinners like you and me. And then as, as we think of, of his work, uh, as his redeemed children, we can imagine a big, huge pit dug at the foot of the cross where he died for you, where we can toss all those lousy rocks, all our sins, they can be thrown in there at the cross and buried, and, and God's going to keep them buried there forever. God is, is so good, he's so gracious to sinners like us who call on the name of the Son. And so, as a church on the right track, let's be keeping before us what it's all about. It's the advancement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in a world, we've got it, in a world full of bad news all the time. And let's also be praying for one another that our love for God and his ways might abound more and more so that we could live holy and pure lives until Jesus comes again. Because of Jesus and his finished work, I'm fully confident that we are going to stay on track at faith and with all our gifts and resources and talents and passions and blessings, we're going to stretch ourselves to do even much more for Jesus and to do it all better than ever as the power of Christ's finished work is applied to each one of us through the Holy Spirit himself, and that will energetically impact faith church and our mission and our vision and our work. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, thank you uh, for your word that we were able to listen to, and I pray, Lord, that the proclamation of your word was pleasing in your sight, and that, Holy Spirit, uh, you, would, you would carry your word when it's proclaimed here, morning and night, every Sunday, to the far reaches of our church family, and even beyond to be calling in people who are not yet part of the church family. And may, O oh Lord, your word reach the far corners, uh, even the, the hidden secret corners of each one of our hearts. Help us uh, to be open to you. Bless us as we uh, conclude our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.